Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm in a good mood. Oh, good. <laughs> but I can't say why. Indeed. Because I don't talk about my job on and the it, podcast. Yeah. So I had a great day at work, but I can't tell you about it. I mean, I already told you about you it. Told, you told me. I know all about it, listener. But yeah, I can't tell the listener about it. And you know what, listener? Sucks to be you. <laughs> because uh, this bit of uh, good news he had is exciting for... You know what? It's exciting for film fans. Yeah, but that's all. And you're not going to know. You don't know. I do. At some point, look, this isn't like, it's not like I, you know, know, this isn't like we found the Magnificent Andersons, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I I stole your joke. Son of a bitch. Um, But at some, yeah, at some point, hopefully, if things go well, you're going to hear some news about a movie and you're going to be like, oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. And it's going to be something I worked on. Anyway. Uh, that's beside the point. How are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah? I thought you had something for the top of the show. I do. Okay. Uh, but first, I should oh, say... Oh, let's do this. Yeah. ...that this episode is brought to you by the Double Feature Podcast. This week, they discuss the horror films Absentia and Satan's Little Helper. Among the things talked about is the idea of a fresh theme never tackled in a film before. That seems neat. Uh, metaphorical monsters and just general cult films. To hear this episode and others, just go to doublefeatureshow.com or click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. That's how we'd prefer you do it. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, I do have a couple things for the top of the show. Number one. Oh, a couple things. Yeah. I was uh, prepared for one thing. As was I until a few hours ago. Rest in peace, Jan Hooks. Yeah. I am actually very saddened by that. She was fairly young. She was only 57. Yeah, that's always my first thought when I heard. Uh, yeah. Was that... She didn't and seem old enough. She died uh, at an, uh, of an undisclosed illness, is what I what I read that she had been struggling with for a while. Mm. Uh, I was, a, you know, there are people that are more instrumental in my artistic appreciation, but I always really liked Jan Hooks. I liked her on SNL. I liked when she would show up uh, in like she was in Batman Returns. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and then I would I always enjoyed it when she showed up on like 30 rock mm-hmm. um as jenna's mother and i believe she was uh jiminy glick's wife right that's right yes she like i so, saw her in uh, a and, lot and of the things. mother of uh morgan mason matthew and Rodine. <laughs> um, i enjoyed that show yeah um the yeah. fact that the i will say the fact that my now wife knows what i'm referring to when i say morgan mason matthew and modine is probably a big part of the reason we're married <laughs> and i do like that you go into it when you say modine and modine that's how you're supposed to say that's it. how you say it um and so uh so yeah it's th- this is a good example of f- people in hollywood like you know actors actors actresses uh directors writers whatever uh that you feel like you just sort of take for granted. Mm-hmm. They've been around for a long time. You see them all around, not unlike a James Rebhorn or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, they, they die unexpectedly and you're like, Oh, that's a bummer. And you move on fairly, fairly easily. You know, it's, I hate to say it's not like a Philip Seymour Hoffman situation, but she, I don't know. I, I enjoyed her a great deal. She always lit up the screen. I seem to recall, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was her. I might be wrong. Uh, there was an SNL sketch that was a sort of a parody of, uh, the big chill and she was the Glenn Close and it was hilarious just to see how, because the nature of Glenn Close's character in that film is that she's, she's like, 
ah, just the wistful one and just, you know, you guys, just that. Mm-hmm. And just the way, if if I'm thinking of, of Jan Hooks, and, I think, and I'm pretty sure I am because of that cast, I don't think it could have been anybody else. Um, just the way that she would just, I have this image in my mind of Jan Hooks staring off with her head tilted with a slight smile, wistful, and... And she, that was a thing that she was able to play. She incorporated some of it into uh, Jenna's mother in, um, in 30 Rock. And so uh, I, try, I like to take just a little moment to remember people that whether we are aware of it or not, you know, you and I were like right in the wheelhouse for her as an SNL cast That's member what I was gonna say. to yeah. be I'm, instrumental for us. Um, I'm not sure exactly what years she was on SNL. I don't know. Do you know? Uh, late 80s, early 90s. Early 90s. Okay. Because I know there's uh, – I'm not sure who first coined this, but uh, the idea is uh, everyone's favorite SNL cast is whoever it was when they were 12. <laughs> um, yeah. And that might be uh, – I might have been a little – I might have been 10 or 11 when Jan Hooks was on. Yeah. But I was still at the age when SNL was something that I would – you know, try and stay up late to see my parents didn't necessarily want me to, but yeah. I'd try and figure out how to do it. Uh, and it would, it was a treat for me. And then mm-hmm. once I remember my babysitter had cable and comedy central would show mm-hmm. episodes from somewhat recent years, um, uh, in the afternoon. So yeah. I would come, I would get to go to the babysitter's house after school and surreptitiously watch, watch SNL. Yeah. And so Jan hooks is part of that cast that I think is, my personal sort of iconic Saturday Night Live cast with Phil Hartman, and you know, and I, and I, she was often Hillary Clinton to his <clears throat> Bill Clinton. And I have a very right. specific, I have a memory of a of a sketch that was like real stories of the Highway Patrol, and and so they shot it like in that handheld way, uh, and basically Hillary Clinton has just beaten the hell out of Bill, uh-huh. and uh, and the way they're talking, they're emulating the way people would talk when they're being interrogated by the police. Just like, hey, what uh, what happened here? Uh, I don't know. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and both of them were just great. Yeah. Well, do you remember the thing they did together called Love is a Dream on SNL? Gosh, I don't think so. It was, I hesitate to even call it a sketch. It was like a short film that was like this sort of classic, like, throwback where they're singing and dancing and it's in black and white together. And it's really beautiful. Hmm. Um and it's also very strange that it was on SNL because it's not really funny, but Wait, there are funny things in and it. And they're like dancing like almost like a Fred Astaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. I did see it. And it's great. It is fantastic. Yeah, I really love it. Yeah, and and that was a really – I think that was a really good time in the history of, of SNL. I think almost anybody would say that because that's when you had like Phil Hartman. You had Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey uh, yeah. You had I think sort of the tail end of John Lovitz. Um and so it was, it was a good time and she was a part of that. And mm-hmm. so when I saw, like when I saw that she had passed away, especially at a, at a young age, yeah. um, you know, you just have this, you know, I, I, I will compare it almost to, uh, the response I had to, uh, the death of Madeline Kahn, where it was somebody who I grew up thinking of as a genuinely funny person who could always be counted on to be funny, mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of often an ensemble and could always be counted on to cover her little corner of the, of the film or TV show or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually, I sort of want to go back and watch her episodes of 30 rock now. Yeah. Um, cause those are the things that are like most readily available at the moment. But, 
But yeah, so rest in peace, Jan Hooks. Uh, that was not the thing I was planning on talking about at okay. the top of the show. Uh, what I did want to talk about very briefly. So, uh, and this is something that has been known for a while, but it, uh, and I've known about it for a while, but it only really became a real thing to, uh, yesterday. I purchased a Blu-ray copy of Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Ugh. So I... Was Does that t- bother you? Okay. So I was telling Jen about it. And by the way, uh, at the moment, she is in our living room watching that film because she loves it. I bought it for her. Yeah. I probably... W- if it were just me, I probably buy it. I don't know. But she was super <laughs> thrilled that I got it for her. And that's pretty rare. Um, and uh, when I explained to her, like, hey, incidentally, do you notice that, like, the tagline for the film is now way, way more prominent than any than the names of the stars or the name of the film. She said, yeah, that's strange. I was like, yeah, they the tagline apparently like tested very well. And so the studio may be trying to sort of, I don't know, trick people on Blu-ray or something. Um, played that up as though that were the title. And if you look at the side, it says live, die, repeat slash edge of tomorrow. That's what it says on the on, even on the spine on the spine. Yeah. Wow. And so that that is what the, that is the title for all intents and purposes now. Yeah. And so when I told Jen that she her first response is one that I feel like is appropriate, where she just goes, "Icky." And I have zero problems with it. I think it's just you know what if it makes if it makes the the movie if it gets the movie seen great. I guess what gets me is it's very rare to see so clear an example of. And I don't even mean this in an, in an insidious way. It's I feel like it's rare to see so clear and overt an example of this of studio machinations. Um, like you hear about studio interference, you hear that, and this this is a clear example of we knew it as a, as Edge of Tomorrow. It didn't do well, right. so they made this superficial decision. But it was superficial to begin with because Edge of Tomorrow was also a stupid name that was that the studio renamed it to. It was, yeah, yeah. It was called All You Need Is Kill. Which is what the book is called, yeah. and that's what it was. It was called. By the time it came to the, so you're saying just there's just a date when, okay, now that it was released in theaters, is this this is what it is? Because sure, I mean, yeah. then how does that affect bicycle thieves? That's true. You know, which we Although, all know now, like or at least cineasts all know now that it's called bicycle thieves. But I think that was a translation issue. Like it was always bicycle thieves. I, I don't know if that. I, thought I don't I, know if that. Tra- I mean, no, I know what you mean that the original title was Bicycle Thieves, yeah. but if it was released here as The Bicycle Thief, then that's its American name. I guess you know so. what I mean. Like um, the um, the Archer, uh, uh, A Matter of Life and Death, was released in America at the time as, as uh, Stairway to Heaven. Heaven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to, what are now some other examples of this? Um, I had another one on the tip of my tongue, and now yeah. I forget what it is. I feel well, like there's that, an obvious one I'm missing. Um, a movie you and I were just t- weirdly talking about before we recorded um, that, again, cineasts now know this movie is called Leon, mm. but uh, we knew it at the time in the 90s as The Professional. Yeah. Um, now now people, I know people say Leon The Professional. Well, I think, as my understanding, and people who are bigger uh, aficionados of this movie can tell me if I'm wrong, that the American, the, the, the French title was Leon. Mm-hmm. Um, the American title was the professional Mm -hmm. and the this is like the this is actually really like the edge of tomorrow thing the home video release is leon the professional okay 
uh, that's how I understand it. I don't know if it's. Uh, I always picture, true, by the way, Leon the professional as having a comma, as in like Leon, you know, the professional. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, oh, let me elaborate. Right. Um, yeah, and and I guess I guess that's just a thing, and it's not at all unheard of. In fact, I had an, an old uh, book about Entertainment Weekly that talked about retooling a movie between theaters, not 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 the content of the film, retooling mm-hmm. the packaging of the film between theaters and home video. So it's not, and and sometimes screwing with the title. Um, and again, I don't think it's insidious or anything, but for some reason, because it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't happen that often. Um, and in this case, it's simply because it didn't do well. I mean, it did okay, but like it didn't do yeah, but wonderfully we, in the we, theater. We liked the movie. I, I imagine a lot of our listeners liked the movie. People, yeah. people like us tended to like Edge of Tomorrow. Sure. So if Live, Die, Repeat gets it in front of more people, then right. I guess I'm it, all for it. I, it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. I mean, I guess I if it's something... I I, go ahead. I guess if it's something that, like Doug Lyman is like, no, it's called Edge of Tomorrow. Like, yeah. I, if he fought for Edge of Tomorrow and they're like, no, we're going to go with this, uh, this Live, Die, Repeat thing. Um, because here's what... This, here's, oh, go, go ahead. Sorry. This could be not that right now we're talking about it tomorrow, but I would like to have maybe our friend Scott and I on. Okay. And actually talk about how important a title is to a movie. Uh, movie titles is a, it's on my list of episodes I wanted to do because I think, and maybe this, this is just a shortcoming or a blind spot for me. It's not very important to me. I don't think much about what the title is or what it means. I don't think about like, Oh, who, you know, like, I, I like Bicycle Thieves, like, I guess, yes, that's, it's interesting. Knowing that it was called Bicycle Thieves mm-hmm. is interesting because you see how the title is, there's a sort of tension or irony to the title. Yeah. Once you've seen the movie. But, um, I would not have necessarily thought about that. I, I don't, again, I don't, I don't spend much time thinking about what a title means. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, and I'm kind of the same way in some cases, like, um, I remember I would talk to people about a history of violence, and if they hadn't seen it, I would try not to give away that you know the nature of the character, right, right. and they'd be like, "Oh, but I mean, he was this guy, right?" And I said, "Why do you think that?" And they said, "It's called a history of violence," <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, damn, you're right. I didn't even think about that." Um, but yeah, uh, it's but mostly it's something that I that I think is important. Um, maybe not important, but it's it's a thing that I value because especially if it's a filmmaker who has control over that kind of thing, because this is what, for whatever, for whatever reason, like this is how they want to contextualize. Well, when people talk about the movie, this is what they're going to say. Yeah. You know? I, I don't want to step on, cause I actually really want to do this episode now. I want, I want to do it with Scott specifically because he and I have had discussions about like the example is, um, fast and the furious five. Mm-hmm. Right. The copyright or whatever is, I think, the Fast and the Furious 5 or Fast and Furious 5, something mm-hmm. like that. The, the title as it appears on the screen in the movie is Fast 5. Mm-hmm. And so Scott's point of view is that's how you should refer to the movie because that's how it appears on screen. Yeah. I disagree with that. Okay. Because I think you could make a movie in the... I'm sure there are plenty of movies... How about plenty, but there probably are movies where the title never actually appears on the screen. That's true. For example, uh, I don't think Edge of Tomorrow or Live, <laughs> Die, Repeat. Like Jen and I, I sat down and started watching it with her, and she said, "So what are they going to do in the opening of the film?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "That is a good question." 
and uh, they sidestepped it because the film. I don't think the title shows up in the at the <laughs> there, beginning, there you and go. I don't think it shows up at the end. But it, it I might show it up have at the to. End. Yeah, 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 I think it would at some point. But um, anyway, let's put a pin in it because I actually want to do that episode. Yeah. But as far as the Edge of Tomorrow thing, I remain unbothered by that. And you know what? Here's something interesting. So Jen, her first response was, "Ugh, icky." As she was watching it, I, I happened to be walking through the room, and she's like, you know what? Live, Die, Repeat's a better title. <laughs> it is better than Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it's a matter of degrees. They're both kind of dumb. Yeah. But um, I think actually, one, you know what? Live, Die, Repeat, I can see it growing on me, much like it grew on, on Jenny. I think uh, because there's a there's an inherently cheeky quality to yeah. it, you know? Like, lather, rinse, repeat. Like, you think of that, and then, like, right. live, die, repeat. That's much more, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal, and it's more in keeping with the sense of humor of the film. Exactly. All right, I'm already sold. I love it. Oh boy! All right, but are we going? Here's the thing: when we talk about it, we're going. You and I are going to say it tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe I'll say "Live, Die, Repeat" oh, slash "Edit Tomorrow" just to. Oh jeez! <laughs> it's so interesting. The I wish I had the box in here because I I would show it to you because it's. I've seen it's, the. I've seen it. Okay, yeah. it says "Live, Die, Huge Letters." Yeah, and at the bottom it says "Cruz Blunt." edge of tomorrow tiny letters they don't want to they don't want to use the title they don't want to use the stars they just hey what do you think of this phrase it's it's just such a fascinating idea that, maybe like, it's, you know what I, I mean i know it's our our gut instinct is to be anti-studio but maybe it's a studio knowing they have a good product and knowing edge of tomorrow didn't do well in theaters and people are not going to associate that with the movie they didn't want to see. Maybe. And Maybe also... it's going to help people see it. I mean, there's other... Obviously, there are also financial benefits. But they, I think they know the movie can sell. And so they're putting effort into it. And I guess I can't really blame them. It is interesting. The thing that interests me now uh, when, I, when I saw the, the box art is just how... And I, maybe this is what it needs to be now. Because I think people, I've, I know I've talked to a number of people that have a genuine bias against Tom Cruise. They don't like seeing him on screen, even if they, even if they themselves admit that he always delivers. I've known a lot of people that say without remorse, I, they do say like, I know this is probably wrong, but I just I can't get past the couch jumping thing, which is like nine years ago now, um, and also never happened. If you right, ask exactly, our friend, yeah, yeah, Amy Nicholson, yeah, and so um, a lot of so. You know, he still gets cast, but maybe the studio realizes, like, all right, we're going to have to try and downplay him. His his picture is still on the cover, but his name is not, you know, it's not above the title. It's next to the old title. That's what it is. That's not, yeah. that's not very exciting to, to most people. But, yeah, it's, I hope it's that. That would, be, that would be great if the studio said, look, we've got something good here that yeah. we can do something with. Now we're dipping our toes back into our Tom Cruise episode. But I also, I doubt that bothers Tom Cruise. I don't think... No, I don't think so. I don't think... Yeah. I mean, I think there are things about him that are probably far removed from any sort of rational, relatable reality mm -hmm. that you and I understand because he's been famous for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think he has that kind of ego. I think he wants to make good movies yeah and he wants people to see his movies and i don't think it's going to bother him yeah i mean he went uncredited in tropic thunder and a lot of people walked away from that movie talking about that character right, right. um yeah so no i don't think it's that i just like objectively i think he's great in the movie and i think a good a good reason for why the movie works is because of how he plays that character and so it just bums me out when 
when he's viewed as a liability, even, even though he isn't, you know, mm-hmm. but that's just the way it is. Like you can't really fight against that. But, um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, uh, again, I didn't mean to be like overly negative about it. It's just, it's, it's something I've heard more about as happening in the past, as opposed to this being like a movie that I had seen twice in the theater I was invested in and they're not undercutting it. They're trying to make it sell, which is a good thing. But it's just very rare to actually see like, oh, wow, they're actually – they're interfering in a thing, not the – in the marketing of a thing mm-hmm. and and trying to change gears mm-hmm. uh, from between theater and video, which which is something I feel like we don't see a whole lot. And so I wanted to comment on it. I think, I think we got a good discussion out of it. Okay. Uh, let's do some more ads before okay. we get into the topic here. All right. This episode is also sponsored – sponsored? What? Do it. What happened now? Is that a higher rate? Do we charge more for sponsor- sponsorship than we do for sponsorship? I thought I'd go into my uh, my half-assed Humphrey Bogart <laughs> slash uh, Peter Falk. Um, this episode is also sponsored by Aperture. See, that's what it is. I, I got ahead of myself. I right. wanted to say Aperture. Right. Um, sponsorture. That's what I like. <laughs> um, this episode is also sponsored by Aperture, providing quality movie-making equipment at an affordable price. Now, David, I know a number of independent filmmakers. In fact, I just emailed back and forth with a guy named Travis Betts, who's an independent horror filmmaker. Um, And oddly enough, actually, now that I think about it, a previous uh, sponsor. Sponsor. Um, uh, So I I know a number of filmmakers, and they've often told me about the high price of equipment rental and the even higher price to purchase the equipment. Aperture is committed to helping independent filmmakers and photographers achieve their dream without going bankrupt. To find out more, just go to Aperture.com. That's A-P-U-T-U-R-E.com. Or click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. All right. Um, Real quick before we do the other ad, I want to – you mentioned Peter Falk and – Reminded me of an actor that I that often reminds me of Peter Falk, uh, Dick Miller. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, I this past weekend it being Halloween times, I filled in a glaring gap in my Joe Dante knowledge mm-hmm. by watching The Howling. Oh yeah. I have to admit, not that great. The movie? <laughs> yeah. There are thing there are things I really like about it. There are things I like at the beginning and the end's okay. The middle's a drag. The whole middle of the movie is a drag, except for the parts. The two scenes with Dick Miller, yeah. where he's the occult bookstore owner who has no belief in the occult at all. He's just trying to, and he has my favorite line in the movie. Okay, where the investigative reporter or whatever producer, news producer guy, is reading out loud from a book about werewolves, and he's realizing, oh, this, and he's like, so it says here they blah 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 blah, and the scene ends with Dick Miller going, "That's a good book." <laughs> <laughs> the best part of the whole movie. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh... I, I actually enjoy the movie quite a bit. I think I probably agree with you that in the middle, it's, I feel like this is a whole other uh, topic, but it's interesting when characters are discovering things that we already know. We knew it walking into the movie. Uh-huh. And so if you do it right, then it's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for them to realize this. If you do it wrong, and I don't like to say Joe Dante did it wrong, but you just think like, just get to it. Yeah. We're already there, <laughs> you know? Um, and I feel like, I feel like that's a lot of that middle section is somebody trying to figure out what we've, what we knew before we, like when we decided to watch the movie. Right. That's right. why we're watching it. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, anyway, but uh, let's talk about tweakedaudio.com. Let's do if so. If you want to hear us talk about horror movies and Dick Miller, quote Dick Miller lines and you want uh, uh, Tyler to do his impressions of, of Peter Falk, the best way to hear all that is to hear it to listen via tweakedaudio.com earbuds. That's T-W-E-A-K-E-D-audio.com. And these are professional quality earbuds. I use them on a daily basis, at least Monday through Friday. Saturday and Sunday, I like to kick back. Don't yeah. necessarily... You don't uh, even wear earbuds. That's what I'm saying. I don't necessarily kick up, keep up with podcasts and stuff. Oh, okay. I thought... Uh, what I meant was that, like, you just have... You just let the, let the audio fly. Right. You right. know? Uh, well, I guess, yeah, on the weekends, I tend to be in my car, and so I listen there to podcasts go. that way. That's not the point. The point is, when I'm at work, I'm grinding away yeah. at all this awesome stuff that I can't talk about. Yeah. I like to listen to podcasts and music, and I do it by listening... I do it through tweaked audio earbuds i we, we stand by them uh and, and their sponsors so uh tweakedaudio.com great product and if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension you get that great product for one third off and you don't have to pay any shipping charges so that's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension let's get into it shall we indeed now a moment ago you actually said uh yeah, we're, we're not getting into it just yet. Uh, when you said that you were just grinding away at work, I feel like you might have let the cat out of the bag because... Oh, because I work at the grinding factory? Yeah, you, you sharpen swords. <laughs> that's, that's all you do. And one of your swords is going to be featured in uh, you know an up court, uh, upcoming uh, sword and sandal sure. epic. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Man, that'd um, be great. Because, you know, somebody's got it. That, somebody has that job. Did you know when they display samurai swords as works of art which they Mm -hmm. are they do it they generally do it without the hilt they take the hilt off because way back in the time those the the people who were who forged and made these samurai swords um who were great artisans and people would travel from all over all over and pay money to have swords made for them they would sign it or mark it on the hilt you Mm -hmm. know on where the hilt would go and then make the hilt around it it's interesting to see when you see displays, like artistic have, displays of samurai swords, yeah. it looks weird because they don't have hilts. I have seen that, and uh, it always struck me as strange, and I never knew why. I just thought, like, eh, it's a different culture, you know, whatever. <laughs> so so that's why they, they display them that way. Anyway, um, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. For real. Uh, now, that, that, that detail just there about samurai swords is something that I remembered because I found it interesting once. <laughs> <laughs> and I find it interesting still. A qualifier there. I find it interesting still. But uh, memory is what we're talking about mm-hmm. here today. Because I have been uh, a cinephile in one sort or another all my life. Mm-hmm. But I've also always had a bad memory for movies. Yeah. And, uh, well, you say, yeah, but I feel like you don't. Or at least compared to me. You're very uh, good. That's why you're better at movie trivia than I am. Maybe. I don't know. Like... I'm of the opinion that what you are talking about today apl- can apply to everybody. So I hope I will, it does. So I will let you continue. Um, but, I mean, there are things specific about what happens inside a movie. Uh, I will forget. I, I will forget character names within five minutes of the credits starting to roll. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really bad at character names. Um, and a part of me has always felt a little guilt about this because I hear people talk about, like, Oh, in eight and a half when blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, I saw eight and a half. I can talk about the film. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, there are, yeah, there are plenty of scenes in eight and a half that I don't specifically remember. 
and yeah. I feel like I feel bad about that. Like I should somehow just have this vault, this encyclopedic knowledge of every film that I've seen and films that I haven't seen and be able to talk about them as if I just walked out of the theater. Uh, and I, I, I guess I want to come clean and say that, yeah, I have a bad movie memory. I don't think it makes me a bad cinephile because I can tell you generally uh, to varying degrees of specificity mm-hmm. how I feel about almost every movie that I've seen. Unless it's a movie that I, I, I actually don't remember seeing, which is which is totally possible. That does happen. I've yes. seen a lot of movies. Yeah, I feel like that. I, I think uh, you really hit it there, which is, there are movies that are th- there are movies that are just very memorable, just whether it be a specific image or a specific scene or a line or a performance that just like that's not going anywhere. Um, but then there are some that it's just they're they're great. They're great movies. But for whatever reason, the type of movie it is doesn't lend itself to having a character like, you know, Anton Chigurh or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so and so you watch it. You love it and you retain certain things about it. But in the end, the thing you come away remembering is how you felt. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when it comes to talking about art, I feel like that's not a bad thing. The problem then is what happens when we have to talk about it? Because this happened with me recently uh, as a function of our uh, top 50 comedies thing. And the number of people – it didn't wind up on the on the final list, but the number of people that submitted Brazil – Mm-hmm. made me realize I haven't seen Brazil. There's no question. I, I, I consider it a comedy, um, but I don't remember much about it. And I was like, I remember a lot of the things that I thought about it. But if you were to ask me to, if you were to ask me to name a specific scene or like, Hey, name five scenes from that movie at the time for a while, I'd say, uh, well, Michael Palin and his weird little baby mask. <laughs> and there's Catherine Hellman with his, with her face getting stretched out by Jim Broadbent. Um, there's his flying dream. There's it's three. You got three. Yeah. By the way, I saw the movie. I watched, I rewatched <laughs> okay. it a month ago. Those are the things I, I'm, those are the things I would have remembered. I don't think I even remembered. It's, it's hard to explain and it may be, okay. See if this sounds right to you. There are things that you know. Oh, I'm, I'm going to sound like Don Ru- Donald Rumsfeld real yeah. quick. There are things that you know, but you don't know that you know them. Like, I know that Robert De Niro is in Brazil. This is the unknown known. This is the unknown known, yes. Yeah. This is the elusive unknown known. That's the one. It's all about Robert De Niro in Brazil. Um, specifically <laughs> if, about if that. If we just knew that we knew that, <laughs> we never would have gotten mired down in Iraq. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. And now, because people... <laughs> Okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, so I wasn't even going to get political. I just couldn't think of another example of like an actor I couldn't remember was in a movie because if I, cause I was like, no, now I have to remember it. And that's, <laughs> right. that defeats the purpose. Um, but the moment I saw him in it or the minute somebody says, Hey, you remember, you, you know who I loved in uh, Brazil was Robert De Niro. Somebody said that you have this moment of, it's not merely being reminded. It's, where you're just like, oh, where it's almost as though it left your mind. Mm-hmm. It's this different thing where it was always there, but somebody has shined. It's like somebody shining a light on a dark corner that hasn't seen light in a while. It was always there, 
But now it's like, oh, you're you are reminded of the details of it. And so. But yeah, there are I I have a pretty good memory about some things. Part of that is because movies are um, they engage more than just your intellectual memory. There's a sensual thing to it. And I think it's it's related to how a smell can bring you back to a place you had forgotten that you right. remember. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I, I think a movie memory probably works in a similar way. Yeah, because as I watched Brazil for the first time in, I don't know, 12 years, um, with every with every new scene, I felt like I... It's, it's not unlike when you are... I recently reconnected with a friend that I hadn't talked to in 20 years, uh, an old friend from Ventura. Uh, it was very strange. And somehow, as we started talking... For all intents and purposes, a stranger. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm 30. He and I are both 32 now. The last time we saw each other was like age 12. Uh-huh. And I had moved away from Chicago, uh, from uh, Ventura at age 10. So he wasn't a regular part of my, he hasn't been a regular part of my life for 22 years. So it's not as though we can get into just, the, you know, the old communication patterns because they're not, because we're adults now. Right. And so you want to, you, you want to play G.I. Joe's or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my finger is a gun. Bang. <laughs> I have shot you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and yet somehow as we talk, the dynamic isn't there, but the affection is there. And it's like, it's almost as though Yes, he is the person that would have grown out of the kid that I knew. And I'm the person that would have grown out of the kid that he knew. And so it's like when you reconnect with an old friend. And so everything that they say is a reminder of why you love the why you loved that person. But you never forgot that you loved that person. It's but mm-hmm. it's just it's just it just fills in the details a little bit more. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. And so. So your your question uh, you're not you're not asking a question you're saying definitively like not remembering things like a lot of specific things about certain movies that doesn't make you a bad film lover or or cinephile I, I hope not and I hope that we get a lot of listener feedback about this because yeah um, it is something that I have often felt guilty about when so, yeah. someone because someone will be like hey have you seen a fish called Wanda yeah I'll be like yeah I love that movie. And they'll say, okay, so you know the part, blah, blah, blah. And uh, part of me is like, well, I haven't actually sat down and watched the whole thing since high school. Yeah. So um, uh, maybe I don't remember this particular scene. Yeah. Uh, It's like you with Brazil. And again, uh, probably because of the Michael Palin thing. Mm. Uh, This is is the subheading of this episode. (laughs) Movies you don't remember well. Artist profile of Michael Palin, (laughs) kind of. Um, But... uh, uh, yeah, like you with the uh, with the Brazil thing, that I could have I could have picked out three or four scenes that really stuck out to me. Yeah, you know the robbery at the beginning, the you know John Cleese speaking Italian, mm-hmm. the the fish, yeah, and the concrete, the wet concrete at the end. Yeah. Like those are the kind of the big things that stick out to me. Um, but uh, I would feel guilty about that. That someone is talking about fish, yeah. now, but for all I know, this is their favorite movie and they've seen it fifty times. Right, in the best few years or whatever yeah um and there are movies like that for me that i that i remember very well you know i mean i know i know die hard like the back of my hand because i've seen it more than any other movie 
Um, and also there are movies like some of the more recent ones that, um, that I surprised myself with how I, I surprised myself with how well I remember Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. I've seen it three times. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's some magic number where suddenly I, I remember a movie. Uh, well, but I, um, um, Scott Pilgrim was on in the hotel room when I was in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, which is why we were getting ready to go out. And I, and eventually, uh, my wife had to be like, I'm shutting this off so we can go out because I was just like <laughs> sitting, I was just like not getting my shoes yeah. on or just sitting there watching Scott Pilgrim <laughs> and realizing like, I remember this movie really, really well. Yeah. Uh, even it's, though it's been a couple of years now. Um, and so I don't know what it is about certain movies, but, um, uh, again, I'm hoping people come out of the woodwork and start, uh, you know, it's like an, I am Spartac. Everyone stands up and says, I don't remember if Fish called Wanda all that well either, yeah. but I know I like it a lot. Let me ask you this, and this is something I don't want to get us too far from the, the primary topic, but this falls under that. But I don't want us to wind up talking about something completely different. Um, into the Michael Palin thing again. Uh-huh. Uh, so, okay, here's uh, okay. So you mentioned Scott Pilgrim. A movie that came out fairly recently that the moment I saw it, I remembered almost everything uh-huh. was Moneyball. Oh, okay. For whatever reason. Just there are – I had a really good memory of that film. I saw it once in the theater and then I bought it on Blu-ray and then we watched it again. So there was a, a pretty long span of time mm-hmm. in between – viewings but i had a very strong memory of a lot of it It was my favorite movie that year um and you know scott pilgrim was pretty high up in your top it was in my top 10 yeah yeah. and so my question is this do you think we are more likely to really vividly remember the movies we love or, or the movies that just really resonate us resonate with us, not because it's a reflection on the film, but it's just like this resonated with me in a certain way, and thus I remember more about it. I don't think. And I maybe think the it, reason I think we don't. A, I think it's a compound thing. Okay. I think yeah, it has to do with liking the movie, but it also has to do with certain types of movies, because um, one of my favorite, top ten, if not top five of two thousand six for me, would be Inland Empire, mm-hmm. David Lynch's movie. Um, but that one, I, there are like, if you were to mention like, oh, the scene where she blah, 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 mm-hmm. it'd be like your opportunity thing. I'd be like, oh, right. Yeah. But I can't, I couldn't call to mind that many scenes from Inland Empire right now, yeah. but it was one of my top, top five of that year. Um, uh, so I think it has to do with like something like Scott Pilgrim is a, I loved it yeah. and B it's plot heavy. You know, yeah. so remembering the movie means remembering yeah. the A to B to C. And admittedly, and I think that maybe sticks it, it, it makes it stick to a certain part of my brain a little more. And admittedly, Moneyball is written by Aaron Sorkin, who tends to write in a way that is memorable. Right, yeah, um, yeah. And so, yeah, and the the other thing I thought, so, okay, so you've got, die, you, you have Die Hard, I have Jaws. Those are, those are our go-to. Like, if you, yeah. I'm fairly confident not 100%, but I'm fairly confident that if you said any line in Jaws, I could tell you the line that would follow it. Um, right. Which is weird. Like, I, I, I don't remember if I told this story on air, but years ago, back when I lived in Denver, I was in the basement. I was, I think, shooting pool alone. Uh, and I happened to hear upstairs just some whistling. <laughs> it wasn't a person whistling. It was somebody 
on a TV was whistling. And I recognized the tune. And I was like, all right, someone's watching Jaws upstairs. Mm -hmm. I'm watching Jaws today. (laughs) So I ran upstairs and watched the rest of the film. And it was not because there's a part where uh, uh, Quint is whistling. It's not that. It's two two characters that show up in one scene when they're on the pier and they're trying to catch the shark with a, a holiday roast. (laughs) <laughs> and as they're waiting for the shark to take it, they're whistling. See, that's, and I just had that Robert De Niro moment with that. Yeah. Like, I forgot that I remembered that yeah. part. And frankly, the inclusion of a scene like that, I love because mm-hmm. we don't know those guys. We've never seen them. We're not going to see them again. Neither of them die. It's merely just an encounter with the shark that shows the strength of the shark. And I think that's kind of amazing. But anyway. But yeah. So Jaws is that for me. Die Hard is that for you. And I'm sure there are a number of movies like that. But I had this thought of... I wonder if there are some movies that we remember better than others, uh, partially because we saw them at a particular time in our lives, but also at that time, we had the time to rewatch movies, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, that goes back to something we were talking about. Was that last week or two weeks ago when I was beating myself up for buying Public Enemies on Blu-ray? Yeah. Because I know I'm never going to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through... I went through my top 10 of the last few years um, and I wrote down the movies that I don't remember much of. And these are my movies from my top 10 from okay. the last two or three years. Right, it's, I'm, con- I'm to look this up too. it's conceivable that I would I have a vivid memory of them. Place Beyond the Pines. It was in my top 10 last year. I was just thinking about that movie. Yeah, it's... There's a lot of things I like. There's a lot of things I love about it. I love the whole movie. If you were to ask me to pinpoint like one, like more than three scenes, and even that, even three scenes might be rough. Oh, see, I remember that one pretty well, actually. It's and it's very strange. I don't know. I still I remember I love it, but I think someone could make the argument. It's like, well, if you lo- it only came out last year, Tyler. Like, if you loved it, then why? Maybe you didn't love it. Maybe it wasn't that memorable to you because clearly you. But is it because so much of it is a sprawling tone poem type thing? Maybe because I, I, I'm latching onto this idea that the more um, I don't know, the more fixed the idea of plot and structure, the more structured the movie is. Maybe and that, maybe structures that I word because it speaks to what you're talking about with Aaron Sorkin dialogue as well. That sort of structure makes it again. I'll use the word stick like it. It sticks to your brain because of uh, that's a recognizable structure. Because you know, David, I'm, you're making sense. Here's why. I'm lo- well. Here's okay. real quick. I'm looking at inspired by you. I'm looking at my top ten movies of 2011. One of them is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I stick by that. I love mm. it. Again, I don't remember that movie. Uh, I don't remember that many specifics about the movie. And part of it is because plot is not even secondary. Plot might be tertiary <laughs> to oh. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, at least that version of it. Weird. It, it's strange, right? Like yeah. it's one of the things that kept me from loving it. It's like, I don't know what's happening, which wouldn't normally <laughs> bother me. Uh, except I felt like they hadn't really established the characters well enough in the first half. Uh, I'll say this though. It's a film that for me benefited greatly from a, a rewatch. Mm. Um, but yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, so what okay so this idea of okay i'm trying to think where did i where did i read this was it the tipping point i think it was the tipping point which was very interesting the idea of something being sticky real quick okay put a pin in that i don't even know this is an episode episode idea because it isn't even about movies but do you have things 
that you completely irrationally, even though you know you know nothing about it, you've never seen this movie, you never read this book, you already feel like you hate it. Sure. I feel that way about Malcolm Gladwell. I've oh. read zero things that he's written. And every time someone brings one of his book, I'm like, oh, that fucking guy. And I don't know why, but uh, something I, about just the idea of it always rubs me the wrong way. Uh, usually, if, in a situation like this, uh, I think it's probably something to the effect of, uh, yeah, got it. He's really interesting. <laughs> That's how I feel about David Foster Wallace. Uh, who? Here's the thing. What I've read, which is very little, I've loved. I have no doubt that I would love, you know, Infinite Jest or whatever. Um, but just the sheer number of people that I happen to know that talk about him, right. I just think, yeah, I'll bet he's great. But it's, but I think it's probably a certain degree of resentment on my part yeah. that I haven't that I haven't read any of his stuff. Anyway, I think okay, sorry, real quick. Okay, I think uh, my life, my outlook on life was changed when everyone was talking about how great Dave Eggers was. Okay, and I read a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, and I was like, this is complete and thorough bullshit okay <laughs> i hate this book and now anything that the type of people who like dave eggers like i'm already suspicious of so i don't know if that inc- includes malcolm gladwell and david foster wallace it certainly includes ben folds but i've given ben folds a chance okay i don't like ben folds all right uh that sort of general idea like the npr set oh boy i don't like a lot of that stuff in up to and including npr uh yeah i was about to, uh, yeah i was about to uh make some enemies real quick and i'm not <laughs> going to uh, i like kcrw the local npr affiliate okay specifically i like henry rollins show all right and i like good food with heaven Kleiman. of course that's a great it's a great show uh what i was going to say in the tipping point which is actually a very interesting book i think i could see people being frustrated with Malcolm Gladwell because he's a very easily digestible intellectual. And I think people tend to be suspicious of that. Um, <laughs> like he's dumbing himself down, but it's a, it's, it's a very interesting book. But one of the things he talks about is but the if idea were, of something. If he were smartening himself up, I wouldn't get it. Exactly. I'm not that smart. Exactly. So I want, so maybe I want someone to be smarter than I am. I want to feel dumb when I'm reading something. And if I'm comprehending it too much, I'm suspicious of it. Wow. You think that's what it is? Maybe. I feel like maybe you're uh, putting this person in a in a bad place. I feel like they can't get it, get out. But I'm talking about me. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Moving on. I don't like, or I, I've never been able to understand Thomas Pinchon, and I just, but I don't hate him. I just feel dumb. Yeah, I try to avoid things that make me feel dumb, so I just don't read. At all. Ever. These days, <laughs> not really at all. Oh, I feel bad, bad about that. Um, it's one I of those things like uh, if I have time free, yeah, I feel like I should be watching a movie or something. I just bought John John Darnielle's novel. Oh, uh, so. which I heard good things about. Not great though. Really? Yeah. Uh, I've only heard good things, and it's already been nominated for like a national book award or whatever. Uh, again, I'm um, sure it's great then. Uh, but I'm very excited to tear into that. Go get him. Let me know. But I'm still working these uh, dumb Game of Thrones books. I say dumb, even though I love them. But they take up so much of my time. I'm sure. They're so long. Yeah. That's what I liked about old Nero Wolf. You can finish it in a day. Um, so. <laughs> All right. Back to no, the No challenging. Point, uh, I think. One of the things he talks about is that uh, I'm literally just mentioning because you happen to say the word stick. That was it. Uh, he talks about the idea of, of idea. Uh, the idea of ideas being sticky. That whether the way, it's the way they're communicated or just certain aspects about them that for whatever reason the human mind 
grabs onto it easier. Um, and I really like this I, this theory that you've put out there, um, somewhat unofficially, mm-hmm. that if something is plot driven, or maybe even character driven, but not even completely that plot is something. Plot is a story. We live stories. Mm-hmm. Our our life is a story. So we are able to pull things from our own life and say like that was a pivotal plot point in my life when I got married or whatever. Um, but it's also about process, I think. Okay, because when people say you never learn, you never forget how to ride a bike, because there's a process to it. So I'm just saying it's a different type of memory. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It just something will stick if you can see, you know, A plus B plus B plus C right. equals you know whatever. But Ocean's um, Eleven, I haven't seen it in forever. I remember that pretty well. Ex- absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, and I mean, that's a film that also deals in character archetypes, which st- tend to stand out. But here's what Good I'll point. say: is that some films are meant to be okay. Like for okay, uh, all right. Uh, I'll say this before I say okay, what I was going right. to say. All right, all right, okay. all right, here we go. All right. It's not like Joe Pesci in uh, Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> um, I think. I've never actually seen it. <laughs> um, the uh, roller coasters. Roller coasters are an experience that you're having when you're, when you're on them. You can say that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. afterwards. I really like that roller coaster. I'd like to go on it again. You're not going to break down the specific aspects of it. Right. Some movies are an experience. Right. They're meant to be an exper- experience. Well, unless you – because I've, I've, I've been saying for at least a decade, my dream job is mm-hmm. professional roller coaster critic where some publication tra- pays me well yeah. to travel around the world trying out new roller coasters and writing reviews of them. Here's the thing, This though. has been my dream David, job. What like, happens when you hit the Dracula untold of roller coasters? What do you mean? You're gonna be you're gonna be sick. You're gonna be throwing up, which I know you do like. Uh, I don't know that I like throwing up myself. Oh, okay, you like the concept. I'm just sort of fascinated right. by. It. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, you and I, if we go see a bad movie, it's like, all right, it took up some of our time, and we're just kind of angry or frustrated or whatever. You go, you go to a bad, you go on a bad roller coaster. You could actually die. You might not be around for that negative <laughs> review. I don't know if it's bad in that way. I just okay. mean like. This roller coaster was uninspired, you know, started out strong out of the gate, but really had third act problems. Really? Another loop? <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, we're dropping. What are or, the odds? You know, it's a perfect, the Universal Studios in Florida has the Hulk roller coaster. Okay. Which is one of those ones that starts out off with like a pneumatic, like you don't like go click, click, click. Like oh. it shoots you out. Yeah, that's like. I love that. That's like uh, California Screaming at. Okay. Uh, I haven't uh, been on that one. Um. But I feel like the Hulk roller coaster in at Universal kind of like blows its whole water right up front, and like it never regains that. So that that would be fair enough. That would be the kind of roller coaster I would write a negative review of. Poor, okay. A poorly paced roller coaster. Noted. So okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I so I think okay. So roller coasters aren't that memorable, is what you're saying. Well, I in mean, that, in that the, the ex- way. yeah, it's yeah. I mean, you remember that you had fun. You literally remember your reaction. You remember being scared. You remember being excited. Yeah, you, you yeah. remember being disappointed. Sense memories. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, and in the same way, you know, uh, I I love Terrence Malick. If you were to ask me to talk about Tree of Life right now and bring up a uh, again four scenes, 
I would be hard. I'd be very hard pressed. That doesn't mean I didn't love it when I was watching it. Yeah. You, and you'd probably pick out scenes that were in the trailer because you saw those. Exactly. Yeah. Now I think yeah, I like, I, I always, uh, whenever I, so there was that period when I worked at a video store and I watched everything mm-hmm. like Oh two to Oh four roughly. And one of the examples I always bring up of a movie that, yeah, I even saw this is sorority boys. Oh, I watched right. sorority boys just because at that time in my life, I watched everything. Yes, you did. But if you were to ask me a scene from sorority boys, all I'm going to remember is the part in the trailer where Harlan Williams pulls the clump of hair out of the sink and does the Chewbacca impression. Because <laughs> it was in the trailer. I saw it eight times. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Yeah, that's a, di- I, that's a different thing. Um, <laughs> I remember every second of Sorority Boys. Did you see it? No, of course not. I'm making a joke. Um, I was just trying to think if we watched it together. You know when I watched it? When was that? New Year's Eve. I don't remember which year. Oh. New Year's Eve. Because here's who I was in college. Okay. I was a grump. On New Year's Eve. Yeah. But I would always get terrified when New Year's Eve was coming. I'd be like, what if I don't get invited to a party? Yeah. Because there's a huge difference in being invited to a party and staying home on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And not being invited to a party and staying home. So I always wanted to make sure I had New Year's Eve options to ignore. Because then it was a statement on my my part. Wow. That reminds me of... uh the live action tick uh-huh. where Batman well is talking about the difference between alone and lone. Uh-huh. He says, uh, alone is an unfortunate life circumstance. <laughs> lone is an aesthetic choice. And I always like that. But, um, but yeah, so to get back, so to get back to the topic, I guess that's, that's what I was thinking is that some, some movies are meant to be experienced. I mean, there's like, okay, let's go back to Brazil. What's the story of Brazil? There's not much of a story. There are developments, mm-hmm. but it's not much of a story, nor is it much of a character piece. It's an experience. You're experiencing the world of Brazil. And so in a way, I mean, you like if, if you were to ask me before I rewatched, if you were to ask me Brazil, I would say ducks. Uh-huh. That's it. Gray, depressing ducks, and yet still somehow funny. Right. That's what I would say. Wide angle lenses. White, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that is and that is. That's Brazil. Now, there's a lot of other things. There are, there are characters. There are humorous moments. And that's fine. But I find myself wondering if that's not what Terry Gilliam wanted me to remember 10 years after I watched it. You know? I think that's a good point. Yeah. I feel like that makes the film somehow more effective. Yeah. And I, I think I tend to respond well to those kind of movies that I have a sense memory of. I mean, it's because I know that I <laughs> yeah. that I won't remember uh, other things all that well. Um because when you think I, about it, mem- I'm sorry, uh, memory is, we remember things because we have to recount them somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only that, but that's, that is a reason, that's a way we retain things. And you recount things that are easy to recount, you know. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to regale you in the, in the intricate plot of Werkmeister harmonies. Right. I will, all I, all, the, the most I can say about it is, you got to see it. Right, and you can tell you you can tell me how it made you feel. Exactly, and I think that's what we exactly. do in movie reviews often. Yeah, because I don't like to give away too much plot. Yeah, in a movie review, um, uh, and so maybe that's another reason I respond better to less plot-driven movies. What I want to talk about before we we should wrap up pretty soon. Okay, but there's something else that occurred to me, and I'm trying. I know this is one of those things where I know that I've encountered this a million times, and now suddenly on the spot. 
I can't think of an example. But what I want to get at is the idea that just because my memory of a movie isn't that good on when it comes to plot and character, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't mean I can't trust my memory. Because I've had occasions before where there's been a movie that I haven't seen in a long time that I liked when I saw it. I don't remember that much about the specifics, but I remember enough about the general tone or feeling of the movie to know, or at least have an idea that if I watch this again now, it probably wouldn't hold up. I think I've changed. Hmm. I wouldn't. Have you had that sort of experience? I'm trying to think of an example. Like I know that not, not that I rewatch something and I then discover it doesn't hold up, but more just like, Maybe I don't want to go back to that because I have a feeling. Yeah. Or like I was a big champion of that movie when it came out. Yeah. And I feel like I would be, I would have to eat my words if I watched it again now. Uh, I, I know there have been examples that have come up before. I've talked about them on the podcast yeah. before. Do you I mean like stuff from like when you were a kid or like when you were a young even, movie fan? Yes. Even, yeah, okay. I'd say I'm more embarrassed. Like stuff when I was a kid, it's like I was okay. a kid. But yeah, stuff like that came out in high school and college that I was like, well, I mean, American Beauty is a perfect example. You mm-hmm. know, I uh, thought that I'd seen God when I saw American Beauty the first yeah. time. Uh, and it's because I was 17. I didn't know any better. It's actually kind of a stupid movie. Yeah. Uh, but there are probably other. Still examples. visually striking, though. Yeah. Well, count it all. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Here's another movie from 99 that I championed, even though people at the time didn't like it. But it re- it resonated with me was The General's Daughter. First off, no one talks about that movie at all. Nobody remembers it. Nobody cares. And I will and I remember thing. certain things about it. Yeah. I, I like James Woods. Um, he was really good. And it did like have when, a very specific type of look that I liked. Uh, and who are they? So are they, they're military police? Yeah. And so he's like making fun of the small town sheriffs. Yep. And he says to the sheriff and his deputy, you sh- he's like, you should get some of those reflective sunglasses for you and the little one. Yeah. I remember that because it made me laugh. <laughs> I remember Carmina Burana. This what? The, the song when James spoilers when James Wood killed oh, himself. Yes, yes. That's the the piece that he's listening to. Yes. Yeah, and it's yeah. There are things that just I I really liked uh, at that. I haven't seen General's Daughter in many many years, um, but at the time I think I saw it like a couple times in theaters, and it just it was the kind of like you pulpy, owned the soundtrack on. I did. Uh, By the way, I, I, I will stand by that soundtrack, um, partially because it's Carter Burwell, but, um, but I, I'm, I'm almost positive that with a couple of exceptions where I'd watch it now, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, what have I, what did I do? What have I done with my life? (laughs) Not only did I champion it, but I'm not currently actively working against it. (laughs) Um, it might not be that bad, but I, I get the feeling that, I mean, that was one of my favorite movies of that year for a long time until I saw all the other ones. Um, but, uh, but I defended it for a while. And so I feel like that's an, that's a good example of, you know, I was a young film fan. It did some things that were interesting visually. Mm -hmm. And I think I mistook, I mistook any choice for a good choice. Um, and I don't even think I'm trying to think, I don't think they were bad choices, but it's just anytime somebody was trying to do a thing, Mm Mm-hmm. I appreciated it. And I think that's how you should be maybe at that age. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I really wish I could think of a good example of something like this. But I can't. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank, even though it has definitely come up before. Well, I can give you the opposite example, 
which is a movie that I have not seen in many, many years, but I'm almost positive where I'd watch it again, I would, it would hold up. Okay. The Sixth Sense. Oh, yeah. I've, I've I saw that. it the day it opened. That is the last time I saw oh, it. Oh, okay. So no, I've definitely the, watched it a couple times since then. It does yeah. hold up. I have no doubt. Like, it's, and f- there, and that's the thing. Not only it has a twist that's memorable, right? It has a performance that, that's memorable and some memorable lines. But also there are little plot developments. There's that process you're talking about, the process of discovery. That, oh right, um, yeah, yeah. That uh, that I think really made it but, stick in my head. You know, because you're right about all that. But when I think of the Sixth Sense, I think of it as a movie that I could watch with the sound off and still mm. be really entranced by it because it's a. Uh, I mean, for as much as Shyamalan has done wrong later in his career, yeah, he's a really gifted, naturalistic visual storyteller. And this is why I've said for a long time he should be making movies. Since The Village, I've been saying he should be making movies that he doesn't write. Yeah. Uh, and I know and, he's done that a time or two since then, but it's just, it's, I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. I feel like he could go... At any, I'm I'm waiting. I'm always waiting when it comes to somebody like him, for him to just get the right script, right? And yeah, because he, boom, he's right back on. Top. What did he make that he didn't write after Earth? After Earth, I don't I don't think he wrote Last Airbender, or maybe I think he maybe had a he, hand in the adaptation. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, think okay. he is one of the credited screenwriters on that. Last Airbender fans can correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, um, but yeah, I'm not uh, other than like After Earth was was one he definitely did not write. Yeah, and but I don't. I mean, if it's not a good movie, then it's not a good movie. So I guess right. I should amend my statement from ten, eleven years ago and say he should be making good screenplays that he right. didn't write. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, Although I will be contrarian and defend Lady in the Water up to a point. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Because I I have, and again, this could be another topic. Again, we should wrap up soon. But I have a soft spot for audaciousness, audacity, audacity, yeah. audacity. Yeah, and, we use GarageBand, but that's fine. Right, yeah, I think that's why it felt weird to me to say audacity. <laughs> but I have a soft spot for that. If a movie seems ballsy to me, yeah, I will cut it a lot of slack. Uh, and there yeah. aren't other movies like Lady in the Water <laughs> for for what it's worth. It is a singular work. Yeah. Uh, here's here's whatever affection I have for Lady in the Water, and there's not much, but whatever affection I have, it is for this reason. You call it audacity. I don't really have a name for it. I have more of a situation. Your alarm goes off. You're in high school. Your alarm goes off. Head comes off the pillow. You immediately realize a paper was due today. And you haven't written it. And so you're like, oh, shit. But it's due in like fourth period. So maybe you can use like an off period or something like that and crank this thing out. And parts of it are great because the adrenaline's going, Uh but the rest of it is just shit. Um, And then he turned in his paper called Lady in the Water. (laughs) Fifth period was the release date. And that was his paper. Um, Yeah. Or maybe maybe but, uh, maybe a better analogy is uh, half-assing a presentation and just making it up as you go along. Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, again, okay, we're wrapping up after this. But Lady I Moore, would actually we can stick with Shyamalan after this because I would like to actually briefly talk about Unbreakable. Okay, uh, which I don't remember that well actually. Okay, um, but 
Lady in the Water, as much as, yeah, the screenplay does seem undercooked. It mm. seems like it needs a bunch more passes. Yeah. <laughs> before it's ready. Um, it's but, like, so how, how many more do you think? I don't know, a bunch? <laughs> but going back to what I was saying before, you can pause that movie at almost any point and it's going to look nice. Oh, absolutely. It's very, it's, is that Christopher Doyle? Did he shoot that? I don't remember. I want to say it's Chris Doyle. I, I wish I, I, I wish I, see, and this is where my memory goes away and yours emerges the winner, which is when it, when it comes to DPs and stuff. Um, but yeah, so, uh, what I will say, not unlike Sixth Sense, the last time I saw Unbreakable, though I have owned it for a while. Yes, Chris Doyle. Um, the last time I saw Unbreakable was in the theater. Me too. I think opening weekend. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Did it open on Thanksgiving? Uh uh-uh. Because I saw it Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. Well, then, it, that, it, that, it, I think it is that time of okay. year, yes. And so, um, so yeah, it's been 14 years. At the time, I didn't really like it. I now think I love it upon no reviewing. Just my mind has changed and certain, th- and I have, I have a shocking memory of that film. I don't remember everything, but I remember a lot considering that I saw it once 14 years ago and didn't care for it. So not only has it grown in my memory, but it has grown better to the extent that going, I went from not liking it to, I think loving it. And I think if I were to rewatch it, I think I would genuinely love it more. We should rewatch it together because I feel the same way. Let's do it. Although I didn't, I didn't dislike it at the time. I thought that it was a weak follow up to the sixth sense. I think I thought that as well. And I, and I got early on in college, I was in a screenwriting class and I remember somebody quoted William Goldman, you know, no slouch as a writer himself. Uh And he said that his problem with unbreakable was that it answered a question nobody was asking. And you know what? I can't, I can't argue with them. Yeah. That's an interesting point. That's a good point. And yet I don't care. Uh, (laughs) because, because, that's that's the point you make if it's a plot-driven film. It's not. It's a character-driven film. And so the answer that it provides is a character answer. And it's and it winds up being an answer to a question we are asking, which is why is Samuel ja- what is up with Samuel Jackson? It's a broad question. But to defend but, William Goldman here, if the movie had been able to be both, it would oh, be a better movie. Oh, no question about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I so think again, this goes to M Night Shyamalan's weakness as a screenwriter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I have a, I have a very strong memory of, but I guess, I guess this might be a feeling, a sense memory of the visual look of unbreakable, just the dark, like the darkness and the rain. And I, I remember that as being a beautiful film. Um, I don't remember who shot it. Maybe the same, same guy. Um, I don't think it was, I think because before that, um, I think it was probably Tak Fujimoto who shot mm. Unbreakable because he did a lot of uh, Shaman stuff, including Signs, which is a beautiful movie. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to look that up. And it's – no. Uh, oh, Eduardo Serra okay. um, shot Unbreakable. Remind me who that is. Um, what is he known for? I know he did some of the – he did um, the – he did the later um, Harry Potter movies. I think oh, okay. The last two. Okay, yeah. Um but he's definitely known for other stuff. What am I thinking? Oh, that's not, it's not important. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's so, it. And so I guess to maybe sum up your, 
the the episode uh you know and and again we were asking more questions than we were actually answering but just this idea of you know should a movie well let, let me ask this sorry i'm i'm thinking out loud obviously um do we feel like we should have a a a notably strong memory of a movie before we can talk about it no, I think just we had to feel we just have to feel passionately about feel strongly about a movie. Like and then we can talk about it. Okay. Cuz I'm trying to think, you know, if somebody let's let's stick with Fish Called Wanda. Um you know, uh you me and Wayne were sitting around and let's say the three of us really decided we wanted to focus on Fish Called Wanda. What would you would obviously would have said it was funny and that you really liked it, but like would you have felt a little would you have felt a bit of a twinge of like i feel like i can't i've seen the movie I and i love it tread lightly but okay. i wouldn't have felt like i was being disingenuous as long as i stuck to what i know about the movie which is how uh i feel about it and the fact that it is um a um both it's it's an audience favorite type movie mm-hmm. and also has a lot of cynicism yeah and darkness to it yeah, uh, I would have talked about that, and I would have felt perfectly comfortable doing so. Okay, yeah, and that is the thing that you remember over time. That's the kind of thing that develops as you become an adult. I think um, concepts like that, which mm-hmm. I think are associated with maybe not emotion because those those are intellectual concepts, but you you think back and you even even if you don't remember a lot of it, you remember how you you were feeling, you remember how you feel now, and then you filter that through your experiences both in life but also as a film watcher and suddenly here you are talking saying what you just said and saying it with complete conviction and being correct uh so yeah it's uh because this is the thing it's i i i apologize i know we have i know we have to end but like you know you mentioned early on that i have a a a good mind for movie trivia Mm -hmm. compared to some nothing yeah i can name a lot compared to me you're very good at it okay that's fine uh i and and i feel like i i try to remember enough so that i can keep the com- i can keep a conversation going um but compared to some that is the conversation remembering things the year you know you and i just are like oh when did unbreakable come out some people know the exact date they right. know exactly how much made in the box office they could tell you every member of the crew they could tell you any awards it might have you know won uh and I don't know, I think, and it's interesting because none of those are emotional memories and art is supposed to touch you emotionally and intellectually, but emotionally. And to me, I'd much rather have that vague, but still strong memory than every single detail and have no emotional connection to it, whatever, whatsoever. Well, um, I want real quick want to mention the movie, I forgot to mention the movie that I rewatched recently that made me think about this. I was wondering that, yes. Um, last weekend I rewatched Jacob's Ladder. Oh, nice. Um, the Adrian Lyne film. And, uh, Do you enjoy it? Because it's available at Target for like seven bucks. It's five bucks. Five Blu-ray. bucks. Okay. That's, yeah, I bought it. Oh, okay. Um, I bought it and watched it. And uh, I still like it a lot, but I was surprised. I remembered it being a terrifying movie. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of it that are terrifying. Yeah. But there are also long stretches of it where it's more of it just this sort of sad character drama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this guy trying to figure out 
why he is the way he is and what happened to him and what is happening. Uh, and it was a, it was just a really interesting experience to me Yeah, to be like, okay, this is the movie that I remember is still here, but there's this whole other part that didn't stick with me. And so I wonder if in another 10 years, cause it'd probably been almost 10 years since I'd seen Jacob's letter. Um, I wonder if in another 10 years, if I'll forget again, if I'll just go back to thinking of Jacob's letter as a movie that has a bunch of creepy psychological stuff in it that freaks me out. I had, uh, I know you weren't initiating another conversation. I'm sorry, but, uh, so for our weekly movie night, a few years ago, we did uh, a, David, a David Cronenberg quadruple feature over the, co- over the course of two weeks. Oh, okay. And so, um, and I kept talking about Dead Ringers as one of the most disturbing films That's I'd ever seen. That's what I seen. barely remember, by the way. What was that? Uh, Dead Ringers. I couldn't tell you that much about what happens in it at all. I remember, I, but I remember all the surgical equipment. <laughs> it, ex- oh, <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. yeah. No question about that. And just... And I saw it when I was young, and frankly, I don't think I had seen a lot of disturbing films. I remember it as being, oh my gosh, this thing is going to kick you right in the balls. So we all watched it as adults. Emotionally, it's very disturbing, uh-huh. but compared to other David Cronenberg stuff, it's pretty tame. Huh. And and so my friends are like, "What? when does the disturbing part stuff? And I was like, I remember it being disturbing. And then, of course, I, I had to realize, like, yeah, I felt disturbed mm-hmm. because... In context, I mean, everybody was willing to say like, oh, it was very disturbing as far as characters go. <laughs> right. But it's not at all the because I in my mind, it was all those horrible surgical instruments. Yeah. But just, that's just that, for like 100 minutes, just 100 minutes of <laughs> let's try this one. Um, but it's not that. But yeah, so that there's an ex- I wish I had thought of it earlier, but like there's an example of one that I had my my emotional memory. I had mistaken that for a, a very literal memory. And uh, wound up disappointing a room full of people. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Final topic idea for the night. Okay. While well, thinking about Adrian Line, directors who have more bad movies than good ones, but whose good movies you really like. Because hmm. Adrian Line made Jacob's Ladder and Unfaithful, both of which are fantastic movies, and he's made nothing else that I like. He did Fatal Attraction. He did Fatal Attraction, which is considered a good movie, but it's not, in okay. my opinion. Nine and a half weeks is a joke. Okay. Flashdance. Ooh terrible okay there's probably more that i'm leaving out but uh all right i'm not Shyamalan. more bad than good or equal now well what I, uh, honestly i like six Sense. i'm pretty sure i like unbreakable yeah and i like signs yeah that might be it but he's also made uh the village mm-hmm. lady in the water which i yeah. guess that maybe i'll put that in the middle put that in the middle yeah the happening i haven't seen right um and i haven't seen Air, airbender and i haven't seen after earth so he's seen he's made more movies i haven't seen than he's made good movies maybe and maybe you should maybe that should be an indicator <laughs> right. that when you saw the trailer for last airbender or at the happening you thought i don't need to do that i don't need to see that yeah so uh oh that's a teaser for our, our next episode by the way uh movies oh. that we inevitably won't see indeed all right that's not the next episode, but you'll find out what it is. Uh, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you find all our movie reviews. I was very busy this past week writing movie reviews, um, as was Tyler um, and many other people. We had a lot of re- a lot of reviews up this week. It's I sort know. Of, sort of all fell on the same week. People going to screenings over the course of the past couple months, and everything comes out this week. Uh, but it's a big week of the movies. Um, so check out battleshipretention.com for this podcast and all the other podcasts and our movie reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at the pretension. And it is me now. We've made that clear now. 
and I changed it to Davey, I'm going to say 98% just to make Tyler laugh. <laughs> did you laugh when you saw it i did yes. okay good Mission accomplished <laughs> all right uh so i you can follow me on twitter at the pretension you can follow tyler on twitter at more lessons which is also the official twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which is at more than one lesson.com what's going on over there well we are right in the middle of halloween times david yeah and so uh this week we talk about henry Selick's Coraline. oh that's a great movie with the companion film it's not a horror film or a creepy film, but uh, The Matrix. Oh. So. My other podcast is a weekly television podcast, Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. This week, speaking of horror and creepy, we're talking about the premiere of American Horror Story Freak Show, and we're also talking about the new ABC sitcom, Christella. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, so you can find that at battleshipretention.com. So, uh, did I say our emails? Emails email us at david at battleshipretension.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. Uh, you know what? Actually, uh, also, uh, like us on Facebook. We haven't had, like, a big surge of likes Definitely lately. do that. Uh, I, I try to post any, every new article on there. You Obviously, you can go to Battleship Pretension and do that as well. But if it's on Facebook, you'll be notified uh, when I post it. So, uh, so, yeah, feel free to go do that. That would be great. All right. So, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 